Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015. It's the Hockey Pediocast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey Pediocast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and sitting across from me is my good buddy Ryan Beach. Ryan, what's going on? Loving this uh, beautiful day here in Vancouver. Uh, I don't think it gets much better than this. Yeah, the, the listeners need to know the sacrifices we make for them to create quality content. We had to close all the windows in the balcony in this apartment. Yeah, and I was sitting on a bench at the park across the street. I had to get up from that bench. Yeah. And, you know, I was getting some nice sun. It's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of glass here, <laughs> yeah. and it's really just keeping all of the heat in. So we're toasted in here. We're talking about hockey. Yeah. It feels weird, it but does. right? Yeah. I mean, we haven't even started the Stanley Cup final yet, and it's already late May, and they're going to be stretching it out. I don't know if you saw this, but it's like, I think there's like three days between games four, five, six, and seven, and, and we'll be going deep into June. So it always feels weird when people are at the beach, and it's like, oh, I got to go home and watch watch a Stanley Cup final game. But I guess the league likes it that way. They're trying to turn it into a, I'd say, 11-month-a-year sport. I feel like in August, everyone's away at their ca- cottages and cabins and decides not to do anything. But pretty much like... Up until July, after free agency, we're even doing stuff then. And then as soon as like late August, early September starts, we're back at it. Yeah, like uh, basically everyone busts out of town July 5th. But even then, the you know prospect stuff is start kicking up more with uh, usually the summer showcase and then Ivan Holinka. And then those are always awful to kind of have to watch when it's like 30 degree weather in August and you're watching hockey on the other side of the world at 8 in the morning. So, yeah, it's... These are good problems to have for us. Yeah, I'm, I'm not complaining. I, I think these are what they call champagne problems in the long run, right? <laughs> these are champagne problems for us. So that's a good segue, though, because today we're going to be doing some prospect stuff. And uh, it might seem a bit random just because, you know, we're still going through the postseason. And there's going to be a, plan, a couple weeks there where we can talk more about prospects and prepare for the draft. But I figured with this little break here we have between the conference final and the Stanley Cup final, it would be a good opportunity to, to get you in this makeshift studio and for us to to talk about it because we did a similar show last year and I had a blast doing it and we're kind of just going to do a bit of a mock draft. We're going to talk about some philosophical draft stuff, some highlights, some of the key players. And I know a, a big crowd pleaser is always uh, Ryan's 
under the radar slash red flag prospects that you give at the end of the show. Yeah, where I really put myself on the line and look bad, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's the that's the that's the beauty of media, the uh, the good and bad. Um, okay, we're going to talk more about your uh, your newest venture and what you've got going on in terms of your own content at the end of the show. So sure. um, we'll get more into that, I promise. But let's stop beating around the bush. Let's just start talking about what everyone wants to hear about, which is Jack Hughes versus Capocaco. Yeah, it's a big point of discussion. Um, obviously, with you know New Jersey and, and New York bumping up there, they, they kind of hit the lottery you know, literally, won the lottery, yeah. literally won the lottery and, and are going to, you know, reap the rewards from this kind of one, two punch of the draft class. Uh, I think it seems to be that every year it's now becoming a kind of one, two thing. And this year is even more so with Kako, you know, getting stronger as the year went on. And then, you know, Hughes being so good for so long that those inevitable questions about his game kind of creep into. And then because of what Kako's doing, um, you know, it, it creates a lot of discourse and a lot of discussion on, philosophical um how are you going to do this and and then also specifically um about those players i think because i know there's going to be someone who takes this conversation the complete wrong way and misses the point of what we're talking about like you really it feels like you can't go wrong with either of these two guys like sometimes it's like oh you know i i guess we'll, we'll still see the book still out on nolan patrick i don't want to completely write him off but i remember like at least that year his year versus patrick like it didn't it felt like there was much more uncertainty and clearly his year was the right way to go based yeah. on what we've seen from them the first couple of years of their careers. This case, like I feel like both guys are going to be awesome players in different ways and it comes down more so to maybe what you covet or how you want to build your team and you can't really go wrong. But I don't know. I, I've also seen people go like, oh, the big winners here are the Rangers because they can't really can't mess this up. Whoever the devils wind up taking it first, they just take the other guy second. There's something to that for sure. It feels like you're, you know, no one's gonna really critique the pick because it's like so obvious. Yeah. But at the same time, you always want to have the first overall pick. You always want to have the choice, right? So. Yeah, I think that in New Jersey, or sorry, New York would want to control who they're selecting, but ultimately they're gonna get whoever's left over. And I think, you know, it's definitely gonna be hard to say, but I, I think the New Jersey's gonna go the Hughes route, mm. and you know, that's just solely because of the impact that a center can have, and there are. Some people think Kako can play center, and I could see that as well. But I think that um, you know Hughes being a natural center, and that's probably where he's going to end up um, in the long term. That will be more attractive, um, and also his ability to kind of make everyone else around him better. Um, and I think that's the biggest difference for me um, between the two is that Hughes just has the ability to make all other skaters on the ice on this team significantly better, and they play with such high pace. Where Kako can be more of a one-man play-driving machine, and that isn't to take away from his playmaking abilities, but it is more like he'll just deke and dangle and drive the net and do his thing. And right. I think that if you're trying to build a team, um, you know, like New Jersey is, they're still trying to add all these pieces. That might be more attractive once sets it apart. So here's the thing. I think you hit the nail on the head there, though. Um, like, I agree. I think generally we place a larger premium on centers um, just because, you know, we feel like they can – dictate the terms of the game a bit more down the middle and have their kind of hands in all the different pots and and they're generally considered a more premium position in this case though i'm i'm taking the argument of like i think i'm throwing that out the window because from what i've seen from kako he's going to be one of those rare wingers similar to taylor hall funny enough that yeah. like the game is just going to run through him and through his stick it feels like so when he's out there he might not be playing the prototypical center position but he's going to be kind of dictating what's going on. Like the puck's going to be on his stick. He's going to be controlling the possession. He's going to be controlling the pace. And so just because of that designation of, of, of wing versus center, like I'm, I'm not as worried about that as I was, would be in some cases where we're talking more like the Patrick Lyon, a pure goal scorer type where it's like, 
okay, like he's kind of a one-trick pony. In this case, it feels like Kako is going to have much more of that play-driving ability that we generally covet with centers. Yeah, no, that's. I think you're absolutely right. And that's what also makes it so much a harder of a decision in the discussion that's had by, obviously, New Jersey mostly, is like how, how much of an impact can Kako make on the wing? Um, and, and is that, you know, is that going to be enough to, you know, cover the di- the difference in position and that is really tough uh, i i think that this discussion has kind of reached ahead just because of how strong he's played at the world championships mm-hmm. and how uh, you know unfortunately jack hughes went there and he's playing in a depth role but he's still you know making you know good plays he just hasn't right. been able to dominate the way that kako has so uh, it'll be really you know I, i'm interested to see i, I uh, if there's one you know one discussion i'd want to hear about is that one is be in the new jersey devil's room and try to figure out the two because it, it'd be splitting hairs and honestly i i have hughes one and yep. i have kako two but if you know if someone felt very strongly that as you said and i think you bring up a good point is that you know kako can dominate the play and drive the play as well as a you know a taylor hall then i that's fine taking my first overall right yeah no there is but i think there's like also some sort of psychological human element bias stuff going on here as well where it's like Hughes has been the de facto number one prospect of this class for I don't even know how long now, dating well back beyond the start of this year. And so I think there's like a human element of like, it gets a little boring to just have one guy there and just everyone else. And as media and and as fans, we want to generate some sort of like buzz or, or, or conversation or dialogue where it's like, I don't know, maybe it's not as obvious. So I think we need to do fight about fight against that as well. That's not necessarily purely why Kako's entering this discussion. I think yeah. his play has been the biggest reason why. But I think there is a little bit of that where it's like kind of this like shiny new toy where he's really just jumping up now and everyone's like, oh, oh have you seen Kako's latest game? I don't know. Should he be number one? So I think there is a bit of that as well. Yeah, I, I think that it's a combination of the things. It's the recency bias yeah. of Kako playing better in the second half. He was playing well all year long, but he's taken a, a step forward in the second half uh, for sure. And then as you kind of said there is that, you know, Hughes has been the de facto number one. And now you're starting to try to punch holes in his game and say these different right. things. And I think one of the criticism I've seen of his game is that he's a little bit smaller, um, which is true. But, you know, how much is he going to have to adjust to play in the NHL every single night? And right. I think we've seen some of that in the World Championships where, you know, he can struggle when there's the, the strength of men against him compared to the players he's been playing against. But I wouldn't be too concerned in the long run. But those conversations kind of, you know, it's a snowball effect. We talk about how well Kako's playing, how those concerns come, you know. There's been points to people making statistical, you know, analysis points of saying, well, you know, Jack Hughes only did this. And it's like, well, he can only do so much because he's not playing against men. He's playing in the USHL. He's playing against college players. So, the, you know, the advanced analytics and, and the, you know, the comparison tools that are available to us can only put him up so high. Like he can't go any higher just because of the level. So it's just a matter of trying to, you know, sort through the the mess and figure out which is one and two. And I, I, I like I said, the, the, saying Kako is number one is, is fine. Um, I think a lot of people are jumping on it because of that. It's driving. like a sexy new stance today exactly, it's yeah. like kind of a bit out there, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's they're wanting to be different, but yeah. then everyone's being different so that it's kind of looping back. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it is funny to see that it's this big storm happening and, and it happens every year, but this year seems to be a lot more fun. Well, yeah, I mean, listen, whenever you have a player who uses uh, physical stature, there's going to be those questions. I think just with what I've seen from his like absolutely elite skating and just his creativity, like I think it's going to be similar to a Patrick Kane thing where yeah. it's like, all right, like I guess he's small, but how many times are defenders actually going to be able to get a good shot at him because he's generally going to be making them look silly and dancing around them? And so I'm not necessarily worried about that. And Kaku is very clearly the more NHL-ready prospect, I'd say. Yeah. I think I'd be surprised. He's probably going to win Rookie of the Year next year, and he's probably going to have an immediate impact right away. But this is a player where you're thinking, you know, 
at least a handful of years down the road and hopefully like this guy is going to be a cornerstone of your organization for 12 to 15 years you're not i don't think you should be super kind of focused in on which guy is going to have the bigger impact next season although from New Jersey's perspective, not saying this is the right way to go about it, but considering Taylor Hall is an impending UFA and you're, you're probably trying to entice him to stay here and spend the rest of his prime in, in New Jersey. And I imagine after the success they had last year and then this year kind of falling back, they probably want to get back there. And so I'm sure there's some of that element as well, where if you're a ratio, you're probably looking around and going like, I don't know, it's pretty enticing that we could get a guy like Kako who could come in and pretty much be like a first line winger for us right out of the gate yeah exactly and I, I think that I think both players are going to be in the NHL next season yep. I, I think that's without question and I think that Hughes is probably going to struggle a little bit more and as you said Kako is going to come in and, and make an impact right away and that it, yeah that can be a, a layer to that because if you look at New Jersey what are they you know they kind of need everything so maybe a more NHL ready player is a little bit more attractive but you do have to think about that three four or five years down the line and that's where I put Hughes slightly ahead because yep. I think once he figures it out once he you know puts on all of his strength and he you know has uses his hockey IQ as what he already has to be the best player he can be I think he'll make more of an impact and that's just the sense we're talking three four years down the line so it'll be really interesting to see and I, I think that the funny thing is this also the this debate comes from who landed in first and second yeah if the Canucks landed in first, it'd be like, well, they're taking Jack Hughes, right, so this conversation's over, right? Yep. So uh, it is interesting, and and um, you know, for New York specifically, they probably are okay with either sense because Kako will come in there, and they have a whole wave of players coming, and they could be a playoff team as early as next year with that. Or Hughes might be that you know another centerpiece that they could use to go with the wingers that they have coming. So it's it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out, and it's it's actually really cool from a, our standpoint on the outside to have it happening two teams in New York, right? So. Yeah, no, I mean, there's certainly going to be a lot of attention on them. And, and with Hughes and the Devils, um, if they do wind up going that route, like, I don't fault them at all. That That is a very uh, intriguing prospect of having Hishier and Hughes in some order, one, two down the middle for however many years to come, especially since both guys are the types of players, as you mentioned, with Hughes, that they're going to make the guys they play with better. Like we've already seen that from his year, and I have no doubt Hughes is going to be similar probably to an even greater degree offensively. Yeah. And so that's one of those luxuries where it's like, yeah, you know, even if Taylor Hall leaves or Taylor Hall stops being a superstar as he ages out of his prime, you can put pretty much whoever with those two guys, and they're probably going to score 30 goals and yeah. have an awesome <laughs> career season. So from like a GM's perspective and a coach's perspective, that's probably like the best – thing you could have where it's like okay we're just gonna have these two guys and then it doesn't really matter what else is around them because they're gonna thrive regardless sounds like a nice problem to have it's pretty good. and i think also like you know obviously all these teams are wanting to take that step forward and, and make the playoffs and i think that you know going the jack hughes route that solidifies your center position at, at one and two and then maybe you go buy a winger in ufa to yep. then supplement that core so then that way you have a, a more of a well-rounded top six where maybe kako slides and then it's gonna be hard to kind of replace that hole in the middle yep. and you know, we always talk about best player available, don't draft for need. But when we're talking about these elite players, they're getting inserted into your lineup tomorrow, basically. Mm -hmm. So you do have to have some consideration into that and how you can make that, you know, take advantage of the fact that the lottery balls went your way. How do we take a next step forward and be a playoff playoff contender next season? And maybe that's the way you take Jack Hughes. You go buy a, a, a UFA or two on the wing and, and that's who your pitch to Taylor Hall. Be like, look, we're spending our money. We have this guy who's going to yep. be part of the future for a long time. Um, so yeah, it's, well, especially it's, from like devil's perspective, like team building perspective, you don't want to get ahead of yourself too much, but let's just say heading into next year, you know, you've got his year as your number one center. 
you can use Hughes in a bit more of a sort of sheltered role against maybe softer competition, pick your battles with him. And then that bumps a guy like Travis Ajak down to what he's better suited for, regardless of how much he's being paid, which is kind of that prototypical, like, shutdown defensive center. And then all of a sudden, like, your team really starts taking shape and making sense. And I wouldn't be surprised at all. The Metro is pretty tricky, and there's a handful of teams there that are good. But I wouldn't be surprised at all that if the Devils are much more competitive next year right out of the gate just because adding a guy like Hughes allows everything else to sort of fall back into a more logical place. Yeah, exactly. And they I just pulled up their their you know their assets and, and stuff on Cap Friendly and they do have multiple second round picks yep. and multiple third round picks and then there's currency to go buy other pieces. Sure. And I like, think they have a bunch of cap space too. Exactly. Yeah. So they have these abilities to take that step forward and, and you know it is all part of that conversation of how do we make that team better with this draft pick. So it'll be interesting to see, and like I said, I, I give the slight edge to Hughes based on solely on the his ability to make everyone better. And three, four, five years down the line, and and, and New Jersey obviously has that extra aspect to it. Well, so here's a question for you, just sort of as like a philosophical question. Obviously, it applies to this debate, but also just other draft prospects. You know, this whole idea of competition and leagues guys are playing in. Obviously, you need to weigh that in as well. When a guy has huge offensive numbers, especially. Generally, if he's playing in the queue, I'm like, mm, what's going on here? Like, does yeah. everyone have these numbers, right? And and sometimes you see these kind of just lofty, ridiculous offensive totals. And I think people are very intrigued by the fact that Kako, I mean, this speaks to his NHL readiness, but, you know, he, I mean, he had amazing draft numbers for a U18 player in a men's pro league, right? Like, I yeah. think he was just behind uh, the good Granlund and Sasha Barkov in terms of like modern uh like from this generation guys at that producing at that level right and so that's obviously great company for him and then you watch um and how he uses that frame of his he had that notable play in this world championships where he basically looked like an older brother playing against ryan Suter, who was his younger brother and just keeping the puck away from him and cycling around the offensive zone and you can sort of just like envision what that type of player is going to look like tomorrow in the nhl with hughes I mean, the numbers speak for themselves, 112 points in 50 games for the U.S. developmental team. He had 20 in seven games at the U18s. We've already seen him make guys like Caulfield, and we'll talk more about him, but Oliver Walsh from the year before. Like, he's already making guys look amazing. They, play with, they get the good fortune of playing with him. But I do think part of the reason why this is becoming a bit of a debate is because people are like, I just want to – like, there is that quality of competition perspective where you're wondering how you translate this stuff to the next level, whereas Kako's is much more translatable. Now, obviously, with Hughes, just the fact that the totals he has put up are what they are, it makes me much more comfortable translating them as opposed to if he was like closer to a point in the game, I'd be like, oh, I don't know how much upside he has. Clearly, when you're putting up these historic generational numbers, it makes you feel much more comfortable being like, I think you'll be pretty good regardless of where he plays. I think you'll be okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, and I, that kind of loops back to the what I mentioned earlier, but like, I don't know what else Jack Hughes could have done right. in terms of production because what you would be asking from him is to go score three points a game. Yeah. That's just not going to happen. Right. So, yeah, um, for me personally and a lot of people who kind of you know follow this from the number standpoint is that you know anytime there's a, a, a draft-eligible player who's playing in those men's league, whether that's Sweden or Finland as being the leaders or um, Czech Republic or yeah. Germany or whatever. The KHL is like a super rare example. Exactly, right? yeah. Actually. Even if they're even just playing games, like that's, that's an encouraging game. Yeah, yeah it's an encouraging sign. If they score some points, you're like, okay, this is someone you need to watch. And if you do what Kako does, you're like, okay, like this guy's right. going to be really good. So uh, it'll be, you know... He did things that just weren't done by anyone else, and that's you can't dismiss that fact. And if there wasn't a player like Jack Hughes in this draft class, he'd be the first overall pick. Yep. 
but you kind of have to figure out, you know, figure out where, 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 where you're going to go with this and things like that. And I think that you kind of mentioned a good point there with Wallstrom is that, you know, you look at Jack, um, Jack Hughes and he's been part of that program for two years and look at the players that he's made better. He made Wallstrom better. Yep. He made Farabee better. And both of those players had good NCAA seasons, but not great NCAA seasons. They weren't having as great of a time as they were while they were playing with Exactly. Them, sure. I feel like we're going to see the same thing again with the Boldies and the Caulfield and the Zegris and all yep. these kind of players who played in and around um, he was quite, and that's something that you kind of have to take into consideration. And it's, it's not something that you can, you know, probably quantify, but it does kind of go in towards the, the, you know, he makes everyone better. It's about, he, you know, gets the best out of every single player around him. He may not be, you know, stand out every single time, but it's going to make something happen. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. Um, you know, we're recording this on a, on a Thursday afternoon, Finland just beat Sweden in, in overtime. So, you know, I think we're going to be posting this on Monday. So hopefully when people are listening, uh, something either just ridiculously amazing or horribly catastrophic as it happened to Kaku. Kaku I was going to say, no, knowing my luck, he'll score like four goals in yeah, the semifinals. Like, <laughs> people will be like, why aren't these guys referencing the insane game he just had where he single-handedly won the tournament? Um, all right. Are there any other points on Hughes versus Kaku? Or I feel like, you know, we did 20 minutes on them. I feel like I we think could probably do another 40 easily. Yeah. They could be a full show, just those two guys, because they are that special of talents. But... Um, and just in terms of like you new unique points for us to bring to the table, I feel like that's kind of that's it. Like we've been everyone's been talking about these two guys for so long that we do get into the risk of just like overly nitpicking, getting overly critical just because there's nothing else to do. Whereas like with all the a lot of these guys who are late risers and guys who are entering this discussion for third overall and fourth overall, which we'll discuss in a bit here, all of a sudden everyone is just like focusing on all these great things they do. And they're like, oh, this guy's actually amazing. And we haven't, they just haven't been on like the forefront of our radar for long enough for us to really kind of feel the need to nitpick them and, and, and bring their games down a peg. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's part of the thing that does get overlooked a lot of times with these top players is that you always see the positives on it. Um, but there are always negatives to their games. Like there are flaws. Like, you know, you talk about Kako right. doing what he's doing. And uh, I, I don't think there's much more we can kind of nitpick about both of these players. They're both going to be really good. And it's going to be really interesting to see how they, um, you know, how they play in the first year. And then, um, you know, Kako just continued to rise throughout the season. And then there's these other players that have been kind of left behind the group because, yep. you know, starting the year, it was kind of Jack Hughes by himself. And then it was a tier of four players and then a bunch of other ones and then Kako kind of put himself as the separator and then he started to push up from there so it'll be um you know that's kind of how the year went for them overall okay well so the draft it really does feel like it's going to start at third overall right because we just know that in some order these two guys are going to go and there's not too much intrigue there although I guess maybe if Kako goes first everyone's gonna be like oh my god um <laughs> but you know with the Blackhawks picking at third they're in an interesting spot here because Depending on where you look, and obviously uh, opinions vary around the industry, but I've seen in certain outlets in certain cases where people have been talking about Bowen Byram as being the third overall guy or the next guy up. And I think part of that, and we can get into this, is just that it does feel like there's a very clear separation between himself and all of the other defensive prospects that are available, not to necessarily put down guys like Soderstrom and Broberg and you know, Cam York and whoever else you want to have on that list. But it does feel like those guys and most of these mock drafts are kind of in the mid, like early to mid teens. And Bro and, uh, and Bowen Byram is anywhere from like third to like sixth or seventh sometimes. How are you, 
How are you feeling about that purely? Let's talk about it purely from the perspective of Byram and other defensive prospects before we get into the fit with the Blackhawks and what they should be doing. Yeah, so Byram was entering into this year was the kind of the clear number one defenseman of the draft class. And I think he's done everything possible to separate himself quite a bit from the rest of that group. Um, I, I think he had an absolutely fantastic season, um, showed everything that uh, why people were so excited about entering into the season. And he took a, even a bigger step forward than that. Um, and there is just a gap and, and for me, what, you know, I get asked a lot about it a lot because obviously we're here in Vancouver and I saw quite a few Giants games and the, the main difference for him compared to the other one is he's the only one that I could confidently say is probably going to be a top pairing defenseman. Hmm. The other ones, yeah, I could see them being a complimentary top pairing guy. Well, you know, maybe Soderstrom plays with a high end offensive guy and that's how he gets into that role and, and the other ones so far, but you know, Byram, I could see, okay, this guy could be the one driving drive his own pairing. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why he's separating himself and, and you know, there's his flaws are, are, you know, perfectly fixable problems. And I think that if he goes to somewhere like Chicago, um, I think that that's a great situation for him because I think that he won't have to go in there and be the number one guy right away. He can kind of work on it with um, the other good defensemen that they have there with Yuka Harju and um, the other guys and drawing blanks now, unfortunately. But uh, that's that's kind of why uh, I, I think that he has separated himself immensely from the rest of that group. Well, I mean, that's kind of why I brought up the Blackhawks from this perspective because so in the past two years, they took Boquist last year eighth. That's the name they I was forgetting. Nicholas, <laughs> Nicholas Bodan, 27th, with their other first-round pick. They took Joki Harju uh, with their first-round pick in 2017, and they also took Ian Mitchell in the second round, who kind of popped this year in, in uh, playing for Denver, I believe, and, yeah. and playing for Canada in the World Juniors. And so it's this really fascinating mix of, like, they have arguably one of, if not the worst, defensive cores in the NHL right now. Like, they have a bunch of big names with Keith and Seabrook, but their actual abilities in 2019 lag well behind their kind of their salaries and their name brand value. So there's certainly opening on that roster. And I think from the Blackhawks perspective, especially if they're looking at a team like, let's say the Bruins, who they played in the 2013 Cup final and then kind of took a couple steps back and Boston's now made their way back, replenished with some young guys like DeBrusque and McAvoy and so on and so forth. But they still have a lot of those main names that were playing for them in 2013. With the Blackhawks, I think if you're Stan Bowman, you probably don't have a huge appetite to see this thing through with a massive five-year plan, just considering you're probably with Kane and Taves and some of these guys who are making big money. You, you want to make at least one more run with these guys at some point, and it's clear that they're not going to be able to do that with the current defenseman they have. So like, I think there's this impetus where they really want to turn that over and get some of these guys they've been drafting up into the lineup. And I don't know, it's always really difficult to project with young defensemen. It feels like NHL teams are generally pretty conservative with it and whether they're physically capable or whether just the teams are unwilling to do so, we rarely see defensemen step right into the lineup and make an impact. So you need to kind of temper your expectations there. So that's why I'm kind of curious to see how they go about this because that third overall pick, there's going to be it, there is no consensus, and that's what makes this exciting, where how they go, it feels like it's going to really open the doors one way or another for the teams that follow, and that's why I think people are looking at them very closely. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see which way they go because there's there's the obvious defensive uh, aspect to it. Um, I think that that four that you mentioned, and I don't know why I was forgetting Boyquist, but um, those four, are, you can comfortably say that's a pretty good nucleus to build around, but adding a player like Byram could really you know allow that group to take a big step forward um, and, you know, a, basically just take over from Keith and Seabrook. Well, I guess Keith, not really Seabrook. Seabrook yeah. is there, but um, take kind of take over that whole defensive core. But then you kind of point in the other direction and say, well, if they have that kind of depth on the defensive ranks, how about, you know, 
fixing the forward group because they're you know they do have some intriguing players in there and and Debrinket's obviously pretty young, but they could use some more help in there yeah. to kind of support that group. So do they go the American way with Alex Turcott? And mm-hmm. I think that he, for a lot of people, he's the you know the next. It does feel like he's jumped into that like most commonly you see him as the third guy off yeah. the board, right? Yeah, and he's a player that, like, I, I, he had a fantastic seventeen-year-old yeah, year, um, and then this season he just couldn't get fully healthy, right. um, and then was in the shadow of Jack Hughes. He was never going to be the first-line center for that team because there's no way that was going to happen. So um, when he played, he's a dynamic player, and I think that people, you know, have kind of woken up to what he can do and the play the, the plays that he can create. So maybe that's the way you go, and then you kind of have a in a year or two, then you're hoping for a Taves and, and Turcott kind of way to go. So, and then lastly, if they really want to swing for the fences and hope Spencer Knight, <laughs> yeah, go goaltend, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, third overall Spencer Knight. No, but Colson might be the option of going that wing way, right? Or Caulfield. But these are all now we're getting players with question marks, yeah, um, and, and a little bit more noticeable flaws to their games. So, you know, I, I think out of those two that, or sorry, out of that group, Byram and Turcott would be the most logical options. And then as you mentioned there's going to be a cascade effect no matter what because i think that if byram there is four then you know i don't think he's going to last longer and i know i know la is probably hoping that he's going to make it all the way to five as well too so well and and you know you do there is i guess at some point a point of diminishing returns because you do need to fill out a full lineup and a full roster and a full depth chart and so you can reach a certain point with a log jam where maybe um you know especially with younger rebuilding teams you go like you should just let this player play throughout their mistakes and let them grow and learn and develop. And then if you have too many of those guys, as soon as a guy makes a mistake, maybe he gets bumped down the lineup a little bit to give open the door for some others. And so it can impinge on each other a little bit. But at the same time, we just see there's just such like a still lack of enough good defensemen to go around the league. Like yeah. most teams have a couple guys, even the great teams. And then they're like scraping the bottom of the barrel and trying to patchwork and make it work with AHL guys in their fifth and sixth uh, defense slots. And so, I normally just obviously I generally preach take best player available but in this case I know people will be like oh they've been taking so many defensemen should they focus on the forwards I think in this case like you really can never have too many good young defensemen and you just have to acknowledge that as much as I like Boquist and as much as I like Joe Kiharju like you never know like these guys not not all these prospects are going to reach their absolute ceiling and develop into uh, their dream scenario and so acknowledging that that's why you want as many lottery tickets as possible hoping that at least a couple of them pan out and become top four defensemen. yeah absolutely and and um you know i think that if you're going to focus on one specific position it's going to be drafting defensemen because where else are you going to get a player of his of byram's capabilities yeah unless you get really lucky in the second or third round well and and uh, sorry to cut you off but like you're never going to generally trading and signing ufa defensemen of the caliber that we think he could be if he reaches his ceiling yeah like you're generally either overpaying badly in free agency or you're just paying an absolute ransom to get him in trade and so i think that's why teams are so intrigued by these two-way number one potential centers and top pairing defensemen because they're just so hard to get your hands on in, in other any other possible avenue yeah absolutely and then you know let's say three years down the line all three of yukaharju boyquist and Boy- byram are reaching their potential that's a great core and maybe if you need to, you know, um, get more offense, you trade one of those guys. Because if there's any going to be one type of player that's going to continue to hold value, it's going to be that high-end offensive two-way defenseman. So if you have three of them, you're not taking a ton away from your lineup. Well, obviously, you're, you know, you're going to feel it, but it's not. You're right. dealing from a position of strength to fix a weakness, and you're using the asset value of that defenseman to fix multiple other holes. So that's where uh, you know it'll be interesting to see um, what Chicago does because. Yukaharju is already there. Boyquist is probably a year or two away, and Byron will be pretty quick with 
Boyquist as well. Right. So if you're wanting to do a rapid rebuild, um, there's your defense right there and then keep Keith and then kind of fix in the rest with your UFA. Um, if you go more the center or the, you know, the forward route, then maybe you're not going to kind of get that uh, such a rapid, uh, increase, but maybe you're okay in the long run because you're, you know, building the team differently. So, well, and I, I get it from their perspective of like, I'm not sure Byram is the third best prospect in this class, but yeah, in terms I, I, of, yeah. <laughs> in terms of like s- certainty, and this is a very risky thing to say about young defensemen, but it feels like he's probably not going to be a washout who's playing in Europe. When no. he's 26. No. And not to say that Turcotte or any of these other forwards will, but it does feel like there's this kind of like glut of guys and none of them are necessarily completely sticking out as the obvious third overall pick. So regardless of the way you go, it probably will feel like a little bit of a reach. And it's just in the NHL, we're never going to see a team like in the NFL draft, for example, like trade the third overall pick for like eighth and a second and a third or something like yeah. you just don't typically see trades like that but in theory like this would be the draft to probably do so just because the guy you want at third overall might be the guy you can get at eighth overall if, if like and who knows right yeah exactly and and there are some other interesting players in that group like dylan cousins is probably mm-hmm. someone who um i i view as being just basically a sure nhl or he does everything right but then after those kind of group there's a lot of question marks about these players and you know i kind of alluded to it before about um you know byron flaws and they're really the only things that i've seen from him and uh is that he can be a little bit passive in the defensive zone yeah and sometimes he puts himself into situations in the offensive zone where he just runs out of space and it's like okay that's yeah. fine. <laughs> like it's yeah. good. Those are totally fixable oh, issues. And in oh, the sum, it's like okay. This guy's really eager to do a lot and help his team. Yeah, he's yeah. Score? He has uh, he has the puck on his stick too yeah. much. It's like okay, uh, cool. So yeah, no, I, I I agree with your point. Is that like if you're ever going to get a defenseman who's going to be an NHL player, that Byram's pretty much it, and he's done great things in the WHL. Um, you know, Turcotte comes with the you know some injury question marks. Um, Pakolzin is you know he's a player who does a lot of great things, but the results aren't there. Caulfield is very small. Uh, five seven basically, and then you kind of have those WHL forwards where you have Cousins, who is Doc, you know right? a sure back Doc. Um, uh, there's concerns about his uh, overall hockey IQ because sometimes he just kind of and um, waits for the play to develop around him when he doesn't have the puck. When yeah. he has the puck, he's great, but then he also isn't you know driving the play or trying to get the puck when he doesn't have it. Krebs played on an awful team, so how much is how much you know how much can you take away from his performance because of him being literally the only guy? Yeah. Um, and then you know, kind of keep going to keep going down the list. I can keep you know pointing to the issues with it. So it kind of it goes back to your point about the draft classes. Is there a sure number three? A lot of people have Turcotte at number three. A right. lot of people have Byram at number three, and then after those two. Those two are usually in the top six. It's, it's a matter of preference, and and it can a, the draft floor could kind of shake out anyway. Yeah, I, I can. I always, I always mix up whether to go Doc, whether to go Dak, whether so uh, you know Kirby, uh, <laughs> if you're listening. I uh, don't know with, with Cousins and, and and him. There's this like, and it's probably unfair, but just I obviously like haven't been watching all their tape and watching every single one of their games throughout the year. I'm, I'm mostly looking at their numbers and looking at some of these write-ups. And there's this like kind of natural pushback for me when I see a guy talked about super highly and then I look and it's like, oh, he's a 6'4 center. I wonder if he's actually good or if people are just salivating at this idea of a big physical center. And, yeah. and you know, they, they certainly have um, like an, a high enough baseline of offensive production where I'm not worried that it's purely just that. But when we're talking about this like highest tier of guys, there is a bit of that worry in the back of my mind that they're not necessarily their upside or their ceiling. Like when you say with cousins, you feel like he's going to be an NHL center. Like that's great. Hmm. But if I'm picking third, fourth, fifth overall, I'd ideally like to aim 
a little bit higher if, I, if I'm viewing this guy as a potential cornerstone of my team in the years to come as opposed yeah. to like, oh, this guy's going to be in my lineup. I don't he's know, going to be a player. I don't yeah. know what he's going to be doing, but he will be wearing a jersey and on being on hotties <laughs> for years to come. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was probably just uh, being a little bit unfair to Cousins. No, but, but I think, I think, I think you, you hear that in draft analysis yeah. sometimes where it's like, and I, I know I, I just said with Byram, like I feel like he's not going to be a bust. I mean, like I think he's going to be a contributor yeah. right? with, with some of these guys and, and maybe it's a tier below them, but sometimes you hear like, oh, this guy's going to be an NHL player. I feel pretty comfortable about that. It's like, well, let's aim a little bit higher. <laughs> That's just like showing up kind yeah. of thing, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think you're right is that, um, you know, Cousins is just a player who is really smart. He skates really well. He has good puck skills. He, you know, has good puck distribution. Um, he's got the size working from for him. He just kind of does everything well. Right. But is he going to be a dynamic top? line winger and or sorry top line center and you're like mm, maybe yeah, it doesn't feel like he has like that type of uh, but then you're like exactly right. but then you're like okay well i can feel confident in him being a second line center right and then if he doesn't get there then he's third line center right like he has all the attributes to his game to be there but i'm not so sure if he has everything to be a top line center and that's where you know maybe he kind of you know where does he settle because of that and that, this draft class is really it's really there's a lot odd. of NHL players in it. Yeah, there's a lot of NHL players in it, and, yeah. it, and it goes pretty deep. Like, there's a right. lot of players that I like in the 50 to 60 range where I'm like, yeah, this guy's going to be a player, and I feel comfortable saying that about 50 or 60. But which at that point of the draft yeah. is like a massive home run. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's be, let's be clear. Like, if you're getting an NHL player in the second round, you've won. Exactly. Yeah. So. <sighs> I don't know what's going to happen. I think that's <laughs> it's going to be the one two, and then after that, Chicago is going to dictate from there, and then there's going to be, you know eight players from there that I could be like, yeah, he's fine at fifth or like he falls to 12th or whatever. Right. So it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. And it's mostly dictated by these players that are there. There's a bunch of the American born players, which come with the question marks of how much were they doing it themselves or how much was it the team. And then you have the CHL players that we kind of talked about that each have their certain flaws to their games. And then we have the defensemen that are, Good, but I don't know if we can say that they're great kind mm. of thing, right? So that's it's a really weird class in that sense. Yeah. Well, and evaluating a lot of these defensemen, like at least with, with Byram, like it felt like so much of the Giants offense this year was running through him and he was such a massive uh, sort of building block for them in that regard. We rarely see young defensemen relied upon that much. So it's always like it's always tough to when you look at especially just kind of their superficial offensive point totals and their production, it's like what's going to happen when they start playing with better players, when some of these outlet passes start leading to two-on-one odd man rushes and breakaways that can actually generate goals. Is like, so uh, with a guy like Byram, I'm very, because I don't, you know, he obviously he led the Giants far in the, in the W, all the way to the WHL final, but I like, I'm curious to see what it looks like when he starts playing with better players who can capitalize on some of that beautiful passing and transition ability of his, and maybe he can take an even higher, um, kind of ha- me might even have an higher offensive ceiling than we've thought so far just purely based on his uh whl numbers yeah that's absolutely correct i think the giants were they ran through him 100 percent, and there was a lot of times where he's making these plays and you know the i don't want to you know take play- things away from these kids but there's a lot of the times where he would make a pass or a play and they just wouldn't play get just there dies, yeah. yeah there's uh, there's one playoff game or one game near the end of the year where it was like a two-on-one and like the, the, the winger had to make a play where he had literally just had to chip it and he couldn't do it. And yeah. like you could tell Byron was pissed afterwards because yeah. it was like just a small, simple play and he was wide open. And so it'll be interesting to see. I, I think that he has, he, I do think he has more to give offensively if he has more, you know, horses around him to do so. Um, one big benefit that he had is that to start the year, they were playing him a ton. They really didn't have anything. Then they acquired a couple of defensemen near the deadline and around then. And then he was kind of allowed to be 
you know, not have to do absolutely everything for them. Right. Um, and then they put them with the Capitals prospect, Connick Liebert, and those two kind of form their top pairing. And then that allowed Byram to have a lot more energy in later parts of the game, which then he allowed to put up more points and why he saw so many game winners in overtime because mm-hmm. he was able to exploit, right. um, you know, tired teams basically. So I do honestly think he has another step to give. And I, I do, I'm encouraged to see what he can do in a, a professional structure because, you know, uh, a lot of his offense was generated from joining the rush, but I think that he can has the ability to also create offense in different ways. And when he has the more horses around him, then he'll be able to translate that differently. I think that's an important thing to consider just generally. Like, and, and you know, this go, leads back to like our analysis of NHL players and also in, with prospect stuff where we always talk about quality of competition and who you're playing against and, and with prospects, what league you're playing in. But also like who you're playing with generally, especially for a lot of these major junior teams, if you're not playing for a complete powerhouse, like you're generally like the best player on your team. Yeah. And... I imagine there's also like there's actual um, like physical proof of like that example you laid out where a play just dies that if he plays with NHL players that's probably gonna lead to a goal in an NHL game. But there's also like the human element of like oh man like you're when you mention the critique of like sometimes he tries to do a bit too much in the offensive zone. I'm sure there's an element of he knows that if he doesn't, no one else in the team will be capable of doing it. So once he starts playing with better players and coaching staffs will I'm sure be able to work that out of his game and if that's one of the biggest concerns of him um, I'll take that any day of the week yeah absolutely um, okay let's take a quick break here to hear from a sponsor and then we're going to uh, talk about some of the other notable names and uh, storylines to watch in, in, in the coming draft sponsoring today's episode of the hockey PDO cast is SeatGeek I'm sure if you've ever uh, in the past gone out and looked for tickets online and decided you were going to go into an event you found that it can be a really arduous and complicated process. You're going from one website to another. You're comparing a bunch of different deals. You are have this nagging worry in the back of your mind that you're going to purchase something online and then you're going to show up the day of at the venue and they're going to turn you back and say that you actually bought fake tickets. And so you're kind of juggling with all that and sometimes you just don't want to deal with it and instead you just stay home and you wind up missing out on what could potentially be one of the best nights of your life and that's silly and that shouldn't be the case and it's annoying that this whole industry has stagnated so much and never really prioritized the customer but that's changing now because Seeky come into the mix and really redefine the ticket buying game by prioritizing you, the consumer, and making sure that they're going to save you time, money, and effort when it comes to buying tickets so that you can stop searching for the perfect seat and start enjoying it. So what SeatGeek does is they really do all the work for you. They're going to search the web. They're going to pull together millions of tickets from all over the place into one easy-to-navigate place. They're going to rate each of them Uh, as a deal on a scale of one to 10, and then they're going to finally display them on an interactive seat map. So it breaks down to details for you. And all you have to look for is the green dots, which means it's a good deal. And the red dots are the overpriced ones. And for those of you that listen to this PDO cast, you're probably more analytically inclined and you're always trying to, you know, find good deals and, and uh, work the values. And so this is going to come in handy for you. And every purchase with SeatGeek is fully guaranteed. So you can shop for tickets with confidence knowing that what you pay for is what you're going to get. I've got the SeatGeek app, app on my phone and I've found that it's by far the easiest and fastest way to find tickets online. I've recently bought tickets to go to concerts. I've bought tickets to go to a tennis event later on this summer. Um, 
there's so much good stuff going on right now with the Stanley Cup Finals, the NBA Finals, uh, baseball. I mean, even a month from now, if you are in Vancouver like myself, you can go watch the NHL draft and take all that in and see all 31 teams in one building at the same time and see the the future of the league and some of the future stars. So that's always a good time as well. And, and you can find tickets for that on SeatGeek as well. And if somehow after all this, you are still hesitant, you're still unsure and unwilling to take the plunge, SeatGeek's going to take it one step further by giving you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase just for listening to today's episode of the Hockey PDO Cast. All you need to do to get in on the fun is just use our promo code. So download the SeatGeek app today and then use the promo code PDO for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code PDO for $10 off your first purchase. Now let's get back to the show. All right. Let's talk about uh, what my favorite prospect. I don't think he should go first overall. I don't think he should go second overall. Probably shouldn't even go third. But Vasily Polkosin, yeah, aka Sex God Pod, yeah, man, um, it's been fascinating to watch this because it felt like for a long time there he was the clear de facto third overall guy, and as we've gone along here with the process, he's getting bumped down a lot of these lists. And I think it's going to keep happening. And by the time we reach the draft, which is June 20 something, in a, so, yeah. like a month away, um, I think people are, I'm very curious to see like how far he falls and how much people, people talk themselves out of him as being a top upper echelon prospect here. Because just because this group is so muddled with all the names we've listed so far, um, it's conceivable that he falls quite a bit like towards even the teens, which as recently as a couple months ago would have sounded crazy, but yet here we are. Yeah. Um, yeah. He wasn't even a name I kind of mentioned in those groups, but he's, he's, you know, I, I think every one of those players that I've kind of mentioned has a, you can argue them to be a, a selected ahead of him. Um, and the main reason why, because of this is that um, he just hasn't been able to produce. Mm. Um, there's, you love the process, you love the game, you watch him, you're like, man, this kid's an electrifying player. Like, I like, I, 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 you kind of get desensitized. I, I'm sure you get this too. Is you get kind of desensitized to hockey sometimes. Right. But watching a player like Pokolz and you're like, holy crap, this guy's fun to he watch. reminds you why you love the game. Exactly. Yeah. So you walk away from those viewings and you're like, oh man, this guy's, this kid's good. And then you're like, but he didn't put up any points. Like, why didn't he put up any points? And so then you kind of have to dig deeper in that, you know, the leagues he played in over in the... So many leagues. In Russia, yeah. The VHL and the MHL is like, they're not very good leagues. Right. Like, it's pretty clutchy and grabby and grindy hockey. And then at the U18s, like, he played well. But he didn't, you know, electrify the same way that Jack Hughes did. And, right. and he, same with um, Holinka, He played extremely well there, and the points were there. I think he led the, the, the tournament scoring. Yeah, I, I think he had 11 points yeah. in, in the five games that he played. And that's great. That's exactly what we're, we see in the process. But the rest of the time, the sum of the parts, you're like, well, why isn't he producing enough? Because the process seems right, but it's just not happening. So is it because of who he's playing with? Is it just bad luck? Is yeah. it all these things? And I think it's a, kind of a, a bunch of everything. But the problem is that, you know, uh, these teams will be able to kind of poke those holes and then say, well, Dylan Cousins is in 6'4". And well, well you know, <laughs> Caulfield scored a bunch of goals and like the results are there. There's there's always seems to be something else that you can point with these players to take him ahead of uh, Puck Colson. Well, and that, yeah, that's the thing, especially high up in the draft where you're picking third overall if you're the Blackhawks and you're like, it seems like a needless risk for us to take when we can take a guy who we feel very comfortable will be contributing for us at some level or some degree in, in the next couple of years with protocols and it does feel like it's much more of a sort of lottery ticket but you're right I think from what I've seen the sort of like 
just the it's so tantalizing like his power forward capabilities and just how he plays i love our our, our buddy and, and your colleague cam robinson in his write-up of him referred to him as playing you know he's talking about his lightning quick hands and all this offensive creativity and then he just described his uh, his playing style as confrontational yeah that's probably exactly it yeah and i love that like when he's going and when he's on his game like he's just an absolute bulldog around the net and and it's it's tough like i, I still don't know where i stand i do feel like the the hate or the nitpicking has gone a bit too far and i think by the time we reach the draft i think it will have gone too far for sure yeah uh especially if he starts falling into the teens but i i don't know i was just talking about how you know if you're if you're picking third overall you obviously don't want to take the needless risk but at the same time you are trying to swing for the fences and hit a home run and it feels like beyond the top two guys he probably is like has like the biggest home run potential in terms of if he puts his game together like man this guy could be something special yeah that's absolutely right i think that if he can take those steps and then the result follows the process that he could be you know really 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 good um it's just a matter of is he gonna put that together and do you want to have that risk and you know if you talk about chicago blackhawks and stan bowman is that you know they 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 probably can't afford that risk. Mm. And then can Colorado, Colorado is... Well, Colorado probably can. That that may be the only team that I could see doing so, but would they? could they also be a team that's like, okay, well, we're about to take a step forward. How do we continue to support this group? Let's go for a safer pick so that way we make sure we get someone else to join this group rather right. than swinging for the fences. Not saying that that's what it is, but I'm saying like this is how you justify. Then you get to LA and they could use anything. So it, like, and then you start going down further down the board and that's where you could see a player like him fa- falling downwards. And there is still that Russian bias um, to some degree, um, yeah. which I, I don't necessarily agree with, but you know, there are the risk of him just well, never well, coming let's, over. Let's talk about that. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I get, I get the concerns. I think in this case, um, there's a couple things going on, right? So we're talking about a teenager who it's 2019 right now. And so this guy grew up probably watching a lot of, Alex Ovechkin, a lot of Evgeny Malkin, a lot of these guys that have come before him and have found great success in the NHL. And he's growing up and everyone's watching all these highlights. They're all consuming North American pop culture and watching the TV shows and listening to the music. It, it just, and, and with how many NH, uh, NHLers right now are, are Russian, I imagine there's also like a, a comfort element as well that you know you're kind of not going to just be isolated and be alone that generally most teams at least have one or two guys that you can can kind of take you under your wing and sort of culturally fit in as well. So I just think some of those concerns, especially with the top prospects, like if we're talking about a depth lottery ticket, like a fourth rounder, it makes sense that that guy would probably just, at least for the next handful of years, stay home and try and make some money and, and build up his stock and maybe come to the NHL when he's 25, 26 years old. With a lot of these top prospects, like I think the end goal is to come play in the NHL. And so I'm not, I, I wouldn't be concerned at all. Obviously, you need to actually speak to him and the people around him to, to make sure. But just from the outside, I think a lot of those concerns this late in the game are pretty overblown. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it was more of a general sense. No, no, of, of, course, the, of yeah, course, yeah. Is that like... It just seems to be another layer that you right. can put onto it. To There's make a bit of like an air of uncertainty still. Exactly, right? yeah. And, and you know, it, it'll be hard for them to ever, you know, you feel that it's going to be harder than it is. But we've seen with the, all these players come over, the goaltenders, um, Sorokin and, Sor- and uh, Kraft and Samsonov. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and then we see that even the, now we're starting to see more and more well, of these. Young- just exactly, yeah. yeah. We're starting to see it more and more. So I think that that, that concern is probably not valid anymore. Um, I, I think that... Um, you know, it's being overstated, but it does kind of just, it's just another reason to not go so. And I, and I think that, 
I think ultimately he's going to go in the top 10. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, you know, I would not be surprised, as you said, Colorado. That seems like a, a reasonable bet at that point because they they can swing for the fences with basically found money. And if it doesn't work out, then it's right. not the end of the world for them. So maybe that's ultimately where he goes. But um, it'll be interesting to see. Well, Colorado, man. I mean, obviously, they were one of the big winners of this postseason. They got eliminated in round two, but they were just so fun to watch. And they have all these future assets and all this cash space to spend. And, and how they go about that is going to be really fascinating to me because it, there is a bit of that, like, playing with house money element. Um, but I think it still is important for them to maximize this pick because hopefully, just on their trajectory, they're not going to have too many of these high picks in the years to come. And this is their chance to add an impact player like that. And And... On the one hand, like there's there's a certain element of like you know we just saw what Kale McCarr did and they took him high a couple of years ago and Sam Gerrard and, and Tyson Berry for as long as he's there and it's the idea of like oh we add Bowen Byram to that list like that would be fascinating as well but then you know they don't really they, they still have a bit of an opening down the middle yeah. Tyson Jones hasn't necessarily developed the way they wanted to yet still could come but pretty much like your baseline for what you need for your guy behind Nathan McKinnon on the depth chart is pretty minimal. And if you can add another impact player down the middle there to give you a bit of that one-two punch, all of a sudden you could easily be the cream of the crop in the West. And so maybe we'll see if Turcotte goes third. It's a bit of a mood point, but I feel like he could also be an interesting fit there as well. So you're right, Colorado, I mean, they're in a great spot where they're going to wait to see what happens at three and then they're going to take one of these guys yeah it's a pretty good situation obviously they probably wanted to stand first but yeah. uh i, I think lo- it would have been okay with jack, <laughs> with jack hughes or, or Capogacco. yeah in the long run they've done they're, they're going to do quite well with that and i think that their defense is looking pretty good with you know gerard and mccarr and barry kind of forming that nucleus and then it's a matter of giving that offensive depth because i think that's ultimately what you know got them is that they weren't able to have a second line and and who will that be and joe says and taking a step there and you know they have bowers there's an interesting players but it's just right. not that next next group to add to it right so it, i always struggle to figure out who's going to go where with this one because i like i have my own personal preferences like i think paul colson is a fantastic probably top five talent for me but mm-hmm. you know just the way that the board shakes it might go differently but it's also easier for us to be like he's a top five talent but if that doesn't work out for whatever multitude of reasons you're not bearing any of the blame for messing up that pick. Right? So I like so this. It's perfect. It's, no, it's great. It's, it's great. All, all the reward with very minimal risk, for sure. That's that's the way we want to position ourselves. You know, we were talking about, I don't I don't want to get back to Hughes and Kako because we're, we're, there's so much else for us to discuss. But one thing that I have seen a lot, and it's such like a lazy angle to take, is like comparing Hughes and Kako to Matthews and Line A just purely because of that, like one, two, one guy is a Finnish winger, the other guy is an American center. Yeah. But beyond that, like, I really don't see any equivalent here. Like, all four of those guys are such different players that if I see any journalist that has actually put any period of time into thinking about this stuff, cite that as, like, a example of what's happening here, like... Uh, yeah, I, I think the comparison stops yeah. at where they were born. Yeah. Um, stylistically, they're four completely different yes. players. Um, and, you know, the only comparison is that, they, you know, the Finnish guy is pushing the American guy because the American guy was the consensus number yeah. one forever. So, yeah, I, I don't see the comparison there. Um, uh, I think that... Uh, yeah, I mean, Kako's like much more... If you want to go with a Finnish comparison, he's much more Miko Rantanen than yeah, exactly. Than Patrick Absolutely, Lattie, right? I think that's more apt comparison of what the type of player is, and I think that that would be better. Plus, both guys are Finnish. Um, <laughs> Perfect. Uh, okay, let's talk about Cole Caulfield because he's obviously been a hot button topic, just purely because you know the the goal totals are just insane. What he had seventy two and seventy two goals in sixty four games playing for the developmental team. He had fourteen in, in seven games playing in the U eighteens. Now 
playing with Jack Hughes um, certainly needs to be factored into that. And unless New Jersey is planning on acquiring another high first round pick and pairing them, um, I imagine eventually when he makes it to the NHL, he will not be playing with a player as dynamic as Hughes is. I'm not necessarily as worried about anything else except for that. Like a lot of law has been made of his stature. I believe last time he was measured, he was below five, seven, um, (laughs) which, you know, isn't ideal, but as we've seen with the direction the league's headed in and how many smaller players have been perfectly successful, regardless of any height restrictions they may have, I'm not worried about that at all. I do with some of these numbers, they're just so ridiculously jaw droppingly video game ish that, I just it, it, there there is a bit of like a kind of a caution, just like okay, like how much should we really buy into this? Because either this guy's the greatest goal scorer we've ever seen, or this is a bit of a mirage. Uh, all of the above. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah um, anytime I kind of you know watch Caulfield, you think that you're like, oh, he's going to stop scoring eventually. Like it's got to stop running out, but then he just kept scoring and scoring and scoring. Um, and I think you bring up a good point is that Jack Hughes has just had the ability to create space for him. Um, and he had the ability to just beat goalies. Um, and I think that that's probably not fair to what Caulfield is because Caulfield is really, really, really good at finding open space and shooting really quickly and accurately. And that's a skill that it should be coveted because there's not a lot of players that have that ability. The problem is, is that he's 5'7". Mm. Um, he Generously. Yeah, he is not a fast skater. He's not the most, you know, usually with players of his size, you want... Uh, a quick yeah. quick agile skater For sure. he's not really super quick he's not super agile as well like he's a decent skater in those aspects but his top speed is not very good um so what is he you know how is he going to translate that to professional hockey hmm. he's been able to exploit you know the ushl the ncaa international tournaments how is he going to do that at the next level so that's where that concern comes from um, you know, there's no doubt that he is a goal scorer and he's a first round talent, but I think that we may even see him go in the top 10 yep. just because of how many goals he scored. But is he going to be able to do that so much in the NHL or the AHL when, you know, that ice timer or that space is not being afforded and he doesn't have the same quality of, of teammates as well? Yeah, you can be small. You can't be small and slow. Exactly. And that's the, that's the biggest concern. I don't have an issue with his size. Yeah. Like I, I think right, he plays right. pretty feisty for his yeah. size. But I think my issue for him is how is he going to get to that space um, effectively? Well, that's and the thing we've seen. You know, I, I think uh, Corey Pronman, like in his reports, does the uh, 20 to 80 baseball grade scale. And he had a shot as generational level, which is 80. And that's even better than he had a guy like Martin Furk, for example, who, who lit up Major Junior with his shot and playing with some of those top guys in Halifax. Now, with a guy like Furk and the best example for me with this, and it comes up time and time again, but he's one of the guys I've, I learned the most from, and, and we learned from our mistakes in yep. terms of an evaluation. And I just thought Timu Polkinen was going to be a no-doubt-about-it star in the NHL. Just everywhere he played, he produced. Just the shot was ridiculous. And then you watch him at the NHL level, and as the game got just a little bit quicker and defensemen got a little bit better and his room to operate shrunk by ever so so small a margin from the AHL to the NHL, he just couldn't get a shot off on time. Yeah. And it was just so abundantly apparent just watching him. And I was like, okay, like this, you, we need to factor this in now in our analysis because it is such a different animal. And, and so that's the thing I'm worried about now from what I've gathered from people that I trust with Caulfield. He's not necessarily a fast player from like a straight line A to B, like Connor, uh, Michael Grabner yeah. scale. Yeah. Um, but he can be shifty in the offensive zone in small spaces. And I think that's probably what I 
value more from a player yeah. that profiles like him. Like I think of like a, a Tyler Johnson, for example. I don't think he's necessarily the fastest player, and he's obviously a very small player in today's NHL. But he's been so effective offensively, obviously playing with other great players on Tampa Bay helps. But his ability to just like get to his spots in the offensive zone with creative cuts here and there and, and small bursts is all you really need. And so if he can – like the baseline for him to pass in that regard for his shot to play in the NHL is pretty small. Yep. And I guess whether he can get there um, remains to be seen. But at some point, the risk is worth a reward because the shot and the goal-scoring ability are so – dynamic and so elite that if you can put him in a position to succeed and he can put himself in a position to succeed um it could be a home run pick yeah absolutely and i think that you kind of you know pointed exactly at what he does well is he's just able to find that space and and get um get the opportunities when they're afforded to him um well i think there's also an element of like he could keep up with jack hughes yeah exactly yeah it, well it was jack hughes would go for a run okay. and caulfield would yeah. just kind of slip sure, in there yeah, and then yeah. the puck can't yeah, do it right sure. yeah, yeah. so yeah it'll it'll be interesting to see um what he can do with different type of players for sure um i i think that i think in part it's an overcorrection um of the changing landscape because we look at alex de Brinkett and everyone's like well you need to find the alex de Brinkett. and well de Brinkett wasn't really a first round player he was a second round player for a reason there was mm. flaws to his game and now it seems like everyone's like well, Cofield's going to be the next to bring out, so you have to take him super early. And it's like, well, there is that risk that comes with it that maybe he isn't able to do the same things that the Brinkat does. Um, like I said off the top there is that I think that Cofield is a first-round talent. There's no doubt about that. I think he does things well enough to be a successful NHL player despite his size, despite his lack of straight-line speed. But are we talking about a top-10 talent? Well, that's, I think that's the question. Like, and I think everyone agrees he's yeah. like a top half of the first round but does he sneak into that top 10 and enter this group of guys with all the centers we mentioned and stuff like that i think that's what's going to be and for me i i wouldn't but i'm i'm not 31 teams right like i there may be a team that values that goal scoring ability slightly higher than say alex newhook who is a player that we haven't talked about who's more of a, a dynamic two-way center who plays with pace so maybe that's you know you want to have, have a player like that rather than a goal scorer and that's right. can, that could be the defining factor yeah, it's a lot of stuff to consider, man. This stuff isn't easy. <laughs> um, all right, so we're reaching an hour here. So there's still a bunch of stuff I want to talk about. So we're going to do kind of a, uh, a rapid fire-ish uh, section of the show to get to as many topics as we can. Okay. How high is Spencer Knight going to go as the first goalie off the board? We joked at third overall. That's obviously not going to happen. But I'm going to throw some stats at you here. So Craig Button has him 13th. Okay. Bob McKenzie... And this was back in April, so we'll see what his updated list looks like. But had him 15th. Sam Constantino has him 18th. I think typically where I've seen, he's like sort of in that 15-ish to 20-ish range, which I'm not sure whether that says more about Knight or the class or the analysts putting him in these spots. But it goes against what we've seen over the past however many years where there's been a pretty clear shift towards goalies not being taken definitely in the teens, but mostly even in the first round. Like, most of the past, I'd say, eight or so drafts, there's, like, a couple guys, right? There's Samson Ovin, 15, he went 22nd. Um, the Dead the Stars in 2017 traded up, and they took Ottinger, 26. But beyond that, like, you're looking at Carter Hart, 48th. Uh, last year, Olaf Limbaum, 39th. Mason McDonald, 34th. Fukali, 36th. Like, it's generally that sort of early second-round-ish range where we start to see a goalie taken. How high do you think Knight is going to rise in this year's class? I think he'll probably go in the early twenties. Mm. Um, I, I think he is the far and away best goaltender in this draft class. I think he's literally is. the only goaltender in this class that I'm aware of. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Actually, <laughs> the the European ranked goaltenders I think is like twenty, maybe fifteen or something. Like it's a really small group for this year. Which I every time I open it up, I'm like, oh yeah. Um, 
but I, I think he's clear the best one in this group, and I think he has a lot of um, a lot of area within his game that he can still improve with good goaltending coaching, which I think is something that teams are getting really on board with and really investing in that aspect mm-hmm. to try to reap those rewards and doing that with your goalies through development process. I think Spencer Knight has the right toolbox to take an even bigger step forward. And um, I, I think what we're seeing in the trend is you mentioned those handful of goalies that were drafted in the first round. Um, you have to be an elite prospect, and that's kind of where I'd put him in terms of goaltending prospects. Is you, that you, you feel the Knight is in that group of elite yeah i'd like i put it i would i would actually probably throw thatcher demko in that group Mm -hmm. as well as if he didn't have busted up hips he probably would have been a first round pick as well right um but yeah it's one of those players that just kind of has everything or sorry one of those goaltenders that has everything right going for him he's got the size he's got the technical abilities he has the uh, athleticism i know goaltending people hate that word but me who's not very good at goaltending uh will use that word uh he has all the things working for him and he's you know ready to be molded into a starting goaltender it kind of takes like a certain uh flex from a gm to take a goalie that high though right because even like the most recent uh guy that went that high was as i mentioned samsonov in 2015 and he was like i remember he was considered like a sure fire no doubt about it like yeah. maybe not as great of a prospect as vasilevsky a couple of years before but like everyone was like yeah samson is clearly the best goalie in his class like he's going to be a stud that was in 2015 and he still has not played an nhl game yet obviously having braden holpe in in uh washington certainly helps where there's there hasn't necessarily been a massive impetus or desire to throw him into the fire and have him play in the nhl but with a lot of these guys like you have to sort of realize that even as good as Spencer Knight is, um, or could be, you're probably not going to see anything from that pick for realistically three, four, maybe even five years. And and for a lot of GMs, like if you have a pick that's that high, it's pretty tough to reconcile not getting a guy who can help you sooner. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot more risk with the goaltenders, right? Um, and they're going to take a longer timeline to get there. Most of the time, we've obviously seen Carter Hart kind of ex- you know exceed expectations, and even Samsonov didn't play fantastic in the AHL this year. Um, and that kind of you know even reinforces the point that you know you're going to have to have some serious cojones to want to take a goaltender that early. But if you get it right, you have a starting goaltender for ten years, and that's pretty hard to replace. Yeah, yeah. No, that's it's. Uh... I mean, that's always what I'm watching just because it has changed so much over the past decade or whatever. So um, it, the first goalie off the board is always a big uh, a big thing. Um, okay, we're getting to that point of the show. What's give me, a, give me a red flag prospect, a guy that you're seeing anywhere in the first round where you're like, maybe he is a first-round pick, but I am not as high on him as the rest of the industry is. I'll give two. Uh, one seems to be a huge talking point is Phil Broberg. Um, he's a really intriguing defenseman in the sense that he can skate and he has the size and he's shown really well at international tournaments. Um, he struggled mightily, um, at the Elsvenskin level. Um, his hockey IQ has stood out. He's still a first round player to me, but I, I've seen him being ranked in the top 10 yeah. and top 15. And I have some, you know, some serious trepidations about that just because of the fact that I think that his overall impact won't be what everyone expects him to be. And we've kind of seen his draft stock slowly fall over the course of the year to a little bit more reasonable expectations. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's a lot of people that still view him as a top 10 talent just because of how well he did at Helinka to start the year. And he had a good U18s. So there's no doubt about that. But right. um, I, I think that's a player that has the stock is getting a little bit ahead of himself. And who's your second guy? Uh, Alex Vlad with the u.s program okay. um yeah, there's some people who have him in the first round early second round uh he's six six. Oh wow that's what he got 
That must be useful for hockey. Yeah, so, um, I, I have a lot, a lot of rebounds. I have a lot of concerns. Couple dunks. Yeah, a lot of concerns about his uh, his hockey IQ and his ability to read the play. Yeah. Um, again, he's a player that probably will be an NHL player, mm. but I don't view him as having an impact in any sense of where he will be selected. All right. Here's mine. This might be an easy one, but Brett Leeson. Yeah, that was that was that would have been one on the he's list. He's freaking twenty years old. Yeah, he's a grown ass man. <laughs> he's playing against children. He is pretty much playing against children. That's I mean, I'm willing to buy the argument that people can develop and get better over time, and maybe a guy who came late to the game can has a different trajectory. Yeah, but man, I remember like I was I was listening like I was watching the World Juniors, and and it's like, oh, Brett Leeson really found his game this year. It's like, yeah, he's. Fucking my age almost, man. This guy's old. <laughs> he just was, he lifted up the couch cushion and yeah, his game was, was right there. <laughs> this guy's got like a full beard. What's going on? Yeah, that, I, that would probably be the, the one that I would have thrown on that. And now, especially three. that his team's in the Memorial Cup, it's like, man, like everyone's like, oh, Brett Leeson. Oh, this guy's yeah. rising up. I've seen him somewhere, like in some drafts, like in the early 20s. And I'm just like, oh my God. Yeah, no, thank you. I, I, I would feel comfortable taking him in the early second because yeah. of the fact that you could just insert him into your oh, AHL sure. lineup yeah. next year. But that's about as far as yeah. I go. Like, not a first round. Early twenties? Are we talking about his draft slot or his age? Like, come on, man. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. He's twenty four. Have, have, have we, haven't we learned about this stuff? Like, whenever a guy goes from like, yeah, he had eight goals in twenty sixteen, sixteen goals in twenty seventeen, forty six this year. It's like, oh, I wonder what changed. Yeah, um, and if, if I'm not mistaken, like compared to other twenty year olds, yeah, it wasn't like that great oh, of a yeah. season. No, like, it was course. fine. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's uh, my yeah, overagers. Uh, it's not groundbreaking territory to say be careful of the yeah. production. Um, here's my uh, – oh, give me a – okay, under the radar riser slash flyer slash guy that you're higher on than the industry is. Oh, uh, that's a good question. Give me mine? Yeah, let's go with that. Arthur Kaliev. Yeah. But yeah, I've seen him being ranked as early as like 12th. Yeah, I, but I've seen him also like in the late teens quite a bit. Yeah. And I can already – I mean, here's Sam Constantino's right up on him. He can score goals, no doubt about that with 51 this season but is his effort and play away from the puck consistent enough yeah that's... i feel like i've seen this story enough times to know how kaliev's career is going to turn out and it will probably exceed his draft slot yeah he'll start he'll just turn it on yeah. and it'll be fine yeah, yeah he produced crazy amounts of numbers and was you know he just was one of those players that would disappear for 58 minutes of the game and then he had... his team sucked yeah and then he'd score four goals or yeah. whatever and he'd be like yeah i'm done here yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah which i feel like is a good skill like if you can here's the thing a lot of guys can try really hard, but they can't actually do that no matter how hard they try. Yeah. I'd be much more willing to take a guy who physically can do that, that sort of stuff and then either put him in a position where he's playing with other good players and he's inspired or motivate him financially or, or in any capacity or he just matures and realizes he should be doing it more often. Like, you, There's certain things you can and can't teach, and in that case, I am intrigued by the talent enough where I think he should go top 15 at least. And and I wouldn't be surprised to see him go like late teens, maybe even into early 20s. Yeah, and I think that would be great value. I think that there's a couple teams in that range that have their second first, mm. second first round pick in there. So that's good. That'd be great. Yeah, the Rangers have 20. Uh, well, the Avs have theirs at 16, which yeah. I think would be awesome. Yeah. And the Kings have 22. So yeah, those are a couple teams who have uh, their second. second yeah, first. those are teams that you might, you could see being a little bit more Swing for the fences, right. for lack of a better term, and in, in going with a player with that kind of risk. Mm. Um, we thought of a guy. Yeah, yeah. The problem is that I have so many, and that uh, like I, I, I kind of get a little too invested in some players. Right. I think the one that jumps to the top is Antoni Honka, mm. uh, the brother of uh, the much maligned yeah. Dallas defenseman. Um, I think he's a player that his stock entering this year, people were really excited about him, um, and then it just slowly tumbled to the point where I think it's overcorrected way too much. Um, you know, myself and a bunch of other people, we use tools 
that allow us to kind of look at comparables. And there's only 10 players out of this draft class that have no comparables based on their you know size and their production. And he is one of them. Mm. And he is just continuing to see his draft, draft who, stock fall. Who are the others? Uh, you would be surprised. Jack Hughes, okay. uh, yeah. Caulfield, uh, Turcotte, Fensori, which is, he's a really small guy. Kako, obviously. Uh, Pustilla, uh, Honka, and Tepley. And then there's a five-foot Russian winger. So really, there's only nine. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to try to pronounce his name, but those are the nine. And each one kind of comes with, you know, obviously most of those names make sense. There's a couple that are small, and then there's right. a, the European players. So immediately for me, when I, you know, look at this, the numbers of the players, then those players jump to the top. That's usually a reason to be like, okay, there's probably a, a reason why. And, and a lot of the times it's just because they've done things that nobody else has. Mm. Um, okay, let's end on this. So one of my favorite parts of last year's show when we did this was at the end, we kind of got, got a little deep, you know, we started talking about draft philosophy and, 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 uh, kind of bigger picture stuff like that. And, and I'm always curious because now, you know, you and I have been doing this for long enough. Uh, you especially have focused on the draft a lot more in the past couple of years. And so, you know, like I was talking about with Timo Pokenen, you learn certain things, you trial by error, you, you, you mess up and then you're like, okay, now I've learned from this next year, I'm going to do better in this capacity. And, and so I'm kind of curious as time's gone on, as you've done a couple drafts here now, are there certain things that you've either wised up to or noticed or what you prioritize either from an eye test perspective or a, a numerical perspective has changed? Um, just, you can take this any way you want, but just sort of as time's gone on, what have you sort of, realized about yourself as an analyst when it comes to the draft in terms of what you're looking for and what you care about the most yeah um i think it's an important skill to have is to be self-reflective and to kind of figure out how to be better and i think that that's something i've tried to focus on and, and kind of answer that question the biggest thing for me is like um how much does the player do on his home because you know a lot of times you can look at the numbers and that may see a player stock you know stock rise and go from there so that's really what um, I've tried to kind of figure out and also how are their skills going to be translatable to the next level. And, you know, when you're starting it off, you're going to go to junior games and you're going to be like, oh, that, that kid's really good. But is he just got his head down and he's going to get clocked every time? But because he can get away with it in junior, he's putting up a lot of points. But if he goes to the AHL, he's not going to do that and right. so on and so forth. Or is he not penetrating the home plate area enough to generate offense in that sense? And like, there's so many of different aspects. So that's something that I've tried to kind of put more of a focus on is trying to figure out that. Um, and then the other thing is that, you know, as we've kind of gotten more invested in this is, is more layers to the analysis. And luckily there's a lot of people in the public community who are starting to do manual tracking, mm. um, which now then allows us to then add more layers to it. So, yep. um, that's zone entry, zone exits, all these different things that are, right. are generally more available at the NHL level, but at these junior levels, you have to have, you know, do the work to right. find it, right. but that adds layers on it. So, you know, you look at players as like, how does this player's high zone entry rate, success rate, um, translates so then you go back and watch said player and you're like okay well he's really good at gaining the line and waiting for his teammates and how is that going to translate to the next level and why is he effective so that's something that I've, I think I've added personally and, and something that teams are also starting to add more in their their you know their building blocks is figuring out how the players do things that aren't just showing up on the score sheet kind of thing right yeah no I think that's a great point because obviously I mean if you just look at the sort of superficial especially the boxcar numbers like you can learn stuff from it, obviously. Like you, you'd prefer a guy who has produced at this point because it makes you feel more comfortable that he will at the higher levels. But I'm much more interested in how has he gotten there and, and sort of how translatable are those skills, right? And, and sometimes there's stories in there where a guy might not be as good as his numbers suggest or a guy might be even better as you're talking about Albert Coles and with like the process versus the results and how comfortable we feel saying that one is will lead to the other and, and stuff like that. So, I mean, 
it's kind of the the blessing and the curse are sort of like the fun thing, but also the scary thing about all this where it's like there's still so much more room to grow. We're getting better at it. Yeah. But it also is what makes it ultimately fun. And, and there's no like real right answers most of the time. Like there's obviously bad takes and good takes sometimes. But like for the most part, you you can talk to 10 different other people and they'll all have different lists of guys who they like more than the industry or guys who they like less and for different reasons. And that's what makes this fun because it feels like all it's a year around thing, but especially now as we head towards a draft, like the conversations are so exciting. Yeah. And, and it also can be who watched who on what night. Exactly. There's yeah. been a lot of, well, like, especially with, with like teenagers. Yeah. There's, there's been nights where I've gone and seen Bo and Byron play yeah. live and he's been bad. Yeah. He's been not good. And you're like, if you walked away from that game, you're like, how is that guy a top, a top three talent? Mm. And then there's nights where you go and he's the best player on the ice by a country mile. Yeah. And you're like, well, okay. So that's kind of also another layer that I think does get overlooked. And, and um, you know, obviously people have different opinions and, and it's all about collaborating um, and figuring out how to make each other better in that sense when we're kind of talking about, the, you know, analyzing these prospects because there's so much uncertainty. It's not simply like, NHL versus NHL we're talking about right. you know different levels of competition and then junior teams are really good high end really terrible bottom and then there's teams that load up and yeah. who are they playing with and all these different layers that kind of add to the overall picture which is you know not as clear as we would hope <laughs> well no for sure I remember I was like looking at like Guelph's uh, roster page the other day it's like oh like like what their team looked like at the start of the year yeah. versus like towards the end of it when they loaded up it was just like oh my god like yeah, exactly and then the who, entire picture changed yeah who benefits from that yeah, it could exactly. be a draft eligible For player sure. and then you'll see that I can't think of any off the top of my head but you'll see a player who's um, you know ranking skyrockets at the end of the year and you're like well why did he do it he's like oh well, we put up a lot of points but why did he all of a sudden put up a lot of points right. and maybe a player got injured and then he suddenly got a role that he wasn't being afforded to in the first half and then you know how does that change the yeah. perception of it so is there anyone from last year that you've completely changed your mind on like in terms of any of the high-ish guys in the first round uh not that i can think of off the top of my head i was really high on wallstrom mm. um and i think that he you know he has struggled a bit at the college level but i'm not overly concerned about yeah. that but otherwise i don't think so i i actually had a, a funny memory is that when we did this last year i kept referring to quinn hughes as quinton and you're like mm. can you just refer to him as yeah, quinn yeah, yeah. um and with his quinton stuff. yeah and he was a player that i thought would be gone you yeah. know before the canucks would take him and here he is you know doing his thing over here so i i, I honestly can't think of anyone there i think that boyquist might be the only one mm. because he had you know there were some concerns about what he was going to do defensively but then he played pretty well in, yeah. in juniors so. but even with him i feel like there was like a evan bouchard came on the team or something after, right? Like, yeah. Because he didn't start the year with them. And then so like just another example of how much the major junior stuff can change as the season. Goes yeah, on. exactly. They kind of formed a, a one-two punch, yeah. um, you know, as there. And, and you know, so. <laughs> All right. Um, let's get out of here. So as promised, uh, let the listeners know what, what you're up to with uh, with Next Gen Hockey and all the profiles you guys have been doing. Uh, yeah. So myself um, and Jeremy Davis have created uh, Next Gen Hockey, which is uh, basically – what we're trying to make is uh, everything that we did at Canucks Army, but in uh, one stop. So we are going to aim for 100 prospect profiles. I don't know if we'll get there because we're trying to do a little bit more thorough um, to make it worth the price of admission. Um, and then we're getting some help from other fellow Canucks Army writers. So it's just basically any prospect uh, that we view as a top 100 prospect will have all their data that's available to them. That's goals for wowies you know the prospect graduation probability system seal which is developed by garrett hole here in vancouver all these different things that uh, give you kind of different layers to it and then you know full scouting reports so it's, it's been really exciting and we've been really encouraged by the reception um uh, to it so far and we're, we're excited where it's going awesome and you guys also well you are doing a weekly draft 
podcast. Well, it's on the radio. Radio, but in podcast form. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was going to say where, what outlet in Vancouver am I not part of might be easier to, yeah. to do. Uh, yeah, so myself and Satya Shah and Cam Robinson, we do a weekly podcast for Sportsnet 650 uh, talking prospects, not just specifically Vancouver ones. We do obviously have a little bit Canucks talk on there, but uh, we talk about all the different prospects and uh, I've been talking about the draft class specifically. So that's mm-hmm. coming out every Saturday. And then uh, also the Athletic Vancouver Elite Prospects and CanucksArmory.com. Oh man, I'm tired just thinking about it. All right, <laughs> all right. This was a blast, Ryan. Thanks for doing this. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, the, well, the drafts here in Vancouver. So we're going to have some good times there. And then uh, next May, we'll have you back on for your annual appearance in the Hockey Video. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDOcast.